Hello everyone, welcome to Inspector Girls episode 2. Finally over our issues there with the sound. I don't know what that was, forgive us, it's the first time. They finally let us loose and we messed it up straight away. But Sam, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thanks mate. Doing well. Uh, glad that's sorted. I was very excited to go live and now excited to go live for a second time in one night. Um, and good, yeah, in terms of FPL, I have yeah, kind of got to a point where I've got a first draft now as in a team that I'm like happy with, I guess, for the first time, which is good. So we're looking forward to talking through that today. Absolutely, yeah. Um, you sent it to me and uh, you hadn't seen mine, had you? And I just chuckled when I saw it, to be honest, but we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, we're conscious we want to keep this quite short, guys. We want to try and aim for 45 minutes, like we said. That's the aim of this pod, to make it succinct. Whether we're going to manage it is another another fact, but... Um, I'm going to fire straight into some other bits before we get to the draft very quickly. Just some stuff that I like from my uh, from my mate FPL Chase, uh, which I'm going to bring up here, um, which he's posted on Twitter. And again, I've, I've recommended him all the time to follow him. So at FPL underscore Chase. And it's just um, for the purposes of the pod, it's probably easier to describe it as a, a non-penalty XG rolling 10 game average in the EPL 21-22. So that's a mouthful. Um Basically, it's got all the teams, as you can see here. It's sorted by the very far right column, which is the XG they provided in the date below, and the date is the month. So it's taken all of the games from that month, which will usually be four. Sometimes it could be three or five, depending on what it is. And then to level it out, he's then taken the remaining to make up 10 from the previous month. So it gives you that rolling feel of the XG across um, um, across the months. So in May, if there was three or four games, obviously the rest were made up by the game's just before in April, sort of the six or seven before. And then he's also taken into account the strength of the opponent here. So they've scaled the XG depending on um, the level of opponents they've had. So obviously if Man City played Norwich, they should have an extremely high XG, you would expect. Um, whereas if they played Liverpool, probably not as high. So the thing that stood out to me straight away here, and it's not particularly rocket science, is that the top teams are very, very good. <laughs> you know, this, this has just been scaled. But you can still see there they are churning out very, very good numbers. And remember, this is taking into account the fixtures. So it's just a reminder for me that I like that it might not necessarily carry on to seasons. We know things can change. You know, managers can change. Um, the, the makeup of the squad can change. But these very good teams are very good, the obvious ones. And we really should be trying to focus there where we can. So this is for the XG. This is for the XG conceded. Um, sorted again by the, the most recent month. Again, we can see Man City right at the top on this graph, literally not hitting one uh, any point for XG conceded across the month, uh, across the whole season. Their defence is extremely, extremely good. Um, you know, and they're down the bottom, obviously, we've got the worst teams, as you'd expect. When we go for the combined, which is XG difference um, between conceded and uh, obviously XG, this gives you a, a feel almost of, almost you can almost sort of relate it to form a little bit, I guess. So I really don't like form, but you can kind of say, well, if there's a baseline for what they should be achieving, and this is how they're managing to overperform constantly, it's essentially Man City and Liverpool are pretty much always in form. That's what that's kind of saying to me. Um, The other notable thing that I take from it is that you can see between each month there will be slight fluctuations, but quite often, if there is like a little dip or whatever, it does come back again quite a way around. So I think that's important when... You do see a lot of hyperbole on Twitter and stuff. Oh, Liverpool are playing terrible at the moment. Or Man City are playing terrible. They've had two games back to back and they don't look quite at it. Um, I think this shows that they get back at it very, very quickly. Um, you know, it doesn't often continue. 
Is there anything else you take from that? I mean, that's what, the thing is, all this data is great, but often with data, it's how you interpret it, right? And that's how I interpret it. It, it could be wrong, but that's the mother feeling I get from it. Yeah, there's just a couple of interesting things I think I'd add to that, which is what you mentioned there about form. You know, it's often discussed you know, in a jokey way as well on Twitter, if you're on FPL Twitter, about whether form like exists. And I think the problem with that conversation is when people discuss it, they're discussing different things. So it's definitely true that teams go through periods when they play better and periods when they play worse. And it's about working out whether there's a reason for that, whether it's fixtures, whether it's completely random and stupid luck, or whether there's an obvious change. So the re- someone's put in the chat, capital FPL, Spurs XG mm. came from when Conte came in. Yeah. And um, so you could say, oh, Spurs have been informed from there. And some people would use that language. And if you're referring to they've got better because they've got a new manager, then of course... That is a thing. So I think looking at trends and dips and changes, but you're looking at a decent sample size is helpful. But you've got to identify uh, what's potentially caused that. And you don't have to, with this as well, you don't even have to think about opposition because that's accounted for as well, mm. which is usually the thing that dictates what we call form, whether it's for an individual player or a team. So I think it's interesting to think of it from that point of view. And the second thing I would say is it's just uh, when you look at the teams that are at, at the top um, for the difference and the conceded uh, and the scored. Um, it sounds really obvious, but they're the teams that ultimately we should be building our uh, FPL teams around. So, um, Absolutely. And although this can, it's great, like we can look back and it almost tells, it tells the picture, like you, you picked up there on the Conte straight away. You can literally see from when Conte's come in, there yeah. or thereabouts, Spurs have just been transformed. Um, and then we can also look at Arsenal and we can see that at the beginning of the season, they weren't quite up to it. And then they got progressively better and better. Does that translate onto next season? Or is there any reason why that might change? You know, these are these are other conversations that come out of it. Right. But um, yeah, I just I just really like them. And I think that helps when we're building our teams and our drafts. We need to bear in mind that, like, yes, there's individual players, etc., that I might like from certain teams. But sometimes I feel like. Every individual pick, of course, you know, might have a caveat, like the expected minutes is the issue with a lot of these top teams, right? And that what ends up levelling the playoff field somewhat. But I think yeah. if, if they were given the minutes, you know, for a lot of these teams the top players, then there'd almost be a no brainer. So it's just it's good to bear in mind, I think, that if you can nail those expected minutes, which is the hardest thing to do, I think, these days to have an advantage, then um yeah, you're you're in for a winner if you can get one of those guys from the top teams and and, and get those minutes right. Um Definitely, yeah. yeah. Should we move on to your team? Just quickly, Luke, like another application from what someone said there in the replies is Southampton look like a relegation team. And that's Mm. a perfect example. You can see how they've got worse in those last few months of the season. And then you've got to work out, well, is there a reason for that? And and also, is there a reason that that will have changed during off-season? So I think that's a perfect example of when you've got to try and um, establish that and when maybe just a team's finishing position might not be reflective of how good they are at present, even at a time like this. Yeah, and and injuries as well, right? Because we do know for some teams, some players can be absolutely key to the way they set up and stuff, and they they seem to have an effect. Um, you know, in some teams more than more than others. Wolves, I think, as well, are another one to stand out there. Previously, they had pretty good data to begin of the season, and in past seasons, they've been pretty good in terms of defence. Um, but there was just a a big dip off for Wolves. Um, and you know, has their squad changed much? Doesn't look like it to me at the moment. Um. So, yeah, there's, there's stuff like that to bear in mind. 
Should we move on to your draft? Should we get to it? That's what everyone's here for. So um, <laughs> basically, I've been lazy and uh, I've told Sam to do all the work, pick his team and talk about it. I'm going to speak about his team. And when we get to my team, you'll probably realise why we've done it that way as well. So um, I'm going to bring up Sam's team here on the screen, hopefully. There we go. So do you want to say who's in it, first of all, Sam, just for the purposes of the pod? Yeah. So um, for the purpose of the pod, in goal is Sanchez. In defence is Cancelo, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Rhys James, Ben Chilwell and Gabriel from Arsenal. Uh, in midfield, Martinelli, Salah and Diaz with a Z. Uh, and then up front, Jesus uh, and Haaland on the bench. Steele from Brighton, uh, Archer, De Silva and Andreas Pereira. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very, very much similar to some of the teams I'm seeing on Twitter. You won't be surprised to hear or know yourself, I imagine. Um, look, looks really good to me. So do you want to talk us through it while you've gone for certain picks so we can pick up some things? Yeah, should we go from back to front? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, and t- we discussed goalkeepers quite for quite a long time last week, actually, so we can just touch on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that Edison and Allison are really good, uh, really good value at 5.5. Um, I just found that every time I tried to put Edison into my team, who is the other keeper I would go for, who is the keeper I'd go for at that price. Mm. Every time I tried to put him in, um, there would just be another uh, player within the team, an outfield player that I feel like the difference I can make up with that one million was bigger than upgrading the goalkeeper. And I guess that's particularly the case with having a very cheap, uh, cheap bench. So as soon as I went for Edison over Sanchez, suddenly there's a player I'm playing outfield that I, don't really want to play. Mm-hmm. So, for example, say I drop Diaz. There's not many seven million players I like. Uh, there's not many players cheaper than Martinelli that you want to be having in your team regularly. And I just think with the defenders, there's so much value um, with those uh, uh, attacking defenders. Mm-hmm. And so I'd rather keep. I've got four of those. Keep four of those, um, and and have Sanchez instead. And then in terms of Sanchez versus others, um, I. Just because of how good Brighton's defence was last year, uh, I prefer Sanchez and I prefer his fixtures to Rea and to uh, Meslier or Melier. Um, in fact, no, I probably do prefer Leeds fixtures actually, but I just don't trust their defence as much. Yeah. Um, so that's the reason I've gone for Sanchez. And I do appreciate though that Brighton could uh, yeah could be worse defensively without Basuma uh, in their team this year. Um, so it's an interesting one, and something I would say just generally on goalkeepers is that I don't think it's good to buy keepers for save points because then ultimately you're buying a keeper. Say you look at a keeper and you see they had a lot of save points last year. Um, you're ultimately buying a keeper that whose team concede a lot of shots. I think the, the key thing is the fundamental thing of how many clean sheets are they likely to get um, because save points are far yeah, less predictable, in my opinion. And maybe we saw that last season a bit with um, Martinez from... Villa, the season before, he was unbelievable. Mm. And then just suddenly this season, he just wasn't an option. I think even if, no. he'd, been four point, even if he'd been at 4.5, he wasn't near some of the other keepers. No. So maybe that was just a bit of randomness that he had like a few games where he hauled with incredible saves. Maybe it was the way they played that season. I don't know. But it's less predictable. I think um, I think it is important to take into account the team they're in and the way the defenders pass because we know how the bonus system set up. Um, it, it can often favour... Uh, keepers, I think, when the defenders are basically useless in terms of most of the <laughs> most of the things that trigger for the bonus points, which is like over thirty passes, is one that I know of, and creativity and stuff can also affect it. 
So I do think that's relatively important. I still wouldn't put it as important as clean sheets, no. But I think, therefore, when you have the likes of Martinez and Pope for Burnley, they have at least got that opportunity where if they do string some clean sheets and they do make a few saves, everything else is set up around them where they're going to be the main benefit from the from the bonus points. But basing your goalkeeper just off of bonus points, yeah. I mean, it's incredibly hard to do. If, if it was easy, then we'd all pick the, you know, the perfect goalkeeper every season and, and, and we just go with that. And there has been seasons where that's happened, where it's like, oh, this one probably looks the best. And he, you know, Martinez looked, looked brilliant after, I think, game week two, and it, it became fairly obvious, but it's not mm. always that way. Um, I'm with you. I'm, I'm stuck on something before we even get to my team. I said it last time. We're in, I'm on Sanchez as well. So, Interesting. yeah. Talk us through the defence. Um uh, I just with Trent first, just absolutely picked himself. Honestly, I don't like. Can't believe I even need to like explain it. <laughs> just no. because, well, I shouldn't need to. Like, it's, it's good to explain it. But like, you've got a player who, um, if you look at FPL review, he's expected to get the fourth most points in the first six game weeks. He got more than two hundred points last season, and has got close to that or over that over the last few seasons. Um, he was the third highest scoring player in the whole game last season. His expected goal involvement last year was 0.44, so you're expecting an attacking re- return almost every other game. <laughs> He's got the highest expected assists in the whole league last season, including players who aren't defenders at per 90. Uh, and then he gets clean sheets as well, like it's ludicrous that he costs 8 point, uh, yeah, costs 8 million or 7.5. 7. Is he? Yeah, 7.5. Yeah, that's just, honestly, I just think it's just a complete no-brainer to own him. And don't I don't think Robertson's uh, yeah anywhere near to him to be honest. Uh, even though his points were very close to him last season, I think if you look at the underlying data, um, particularly with expected assists, um, Trent is well clear of him. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Do you want to add anything to that, Luke? No, I just the only thing is just that I think that there's a, there's a chance we haven't seen his um his peak yet. I think there's a chance given the, the age of him, um, given the fact that. You can only assume he's going to therefore improve as a player. The fact that you could get a little bit lucky where he doesn't historically score that many goals, but he does take quite a few set pieces. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's seasons sometimes where a player will score five free kicks, you know, out of complete randomness. So mm-hmm. um, maybe we can add that in there. Um, maybe losing Mane, you could say, because he's very good with his head. Could that affect Trent a little bit? But then we've got Nunes who's come in, who, if he play and he looks like he's certainly built that way. I don't know that much about him in the way that you'd expect that he would be good in the air. Um, so, yeah, it all starts to go down narratives at this point. Isn't it? I, don't, I don't see that affecting him too much. There could be an adjustment period for Liverpool in general, just losing Mane and having Nunes in. I don't doubt that for a second, but will that have a, you know, an effect on Trent to the level where I'm not going to pick him? Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I, do, I don't think there's anything else I need to add to that, to be honest, Luke. No. Think, if, you, if you're listening to this now and you don't have him in your team, just go and put him in your team. Whatever whatever downgrade you have to do elsewhere to get him in, if you don't own him, will be worth it. Um, then other yeah, I'll try to move to the Chelsea boys next. Yeah, so I've got gone for double Chelsea defence. Uh, ben Chilwell and Reese James. Um, yeah, this is one where I'm not like I wouldn't be surprised if I end up starting the season with just one of them. Um, it depends on with Chilwell, I guess it, that's the one that depends on how confident I am in his minutes, just because he's not played a competitive game, has he, since, well, in, in months, mm. in like, like over half a year. What, Chilwell, um, he played in the he played the last game, I think, at the end of last oh, season. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. did, did he? Yeah. Did he start that? Yeah. I can't remember if he started, but I remember him featuring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
But so, still, he's not yep. been playing for a, a high level for a, a little while because he's obviously had that injury, hasn't he? So, yeah. Yeah, and James, um, I'm pretty certain I'll end up um, owning James. Um, it's just, with both of them, I guess it comes down to minutes. But it's just the fact that their upside is ridiculously high. Like, they they have it in them to score, a, to get 20 points. Like, they can get a clean sheet and two assists or, like, three attacking returns, even if they, a couple of times a season, if Chelsea win 7-0 or something. Like they, they are capable of doing that. So I think that you have that as a possibility for a player who's who's only uh, six. I think it's well worth having them. Mm. Um, they are players I think are probably at risk of getting subbed off before the 60th minute and have been in the past as well. Particularly we saw that trend with James last season. I think it was last season, quite early in the season, there was a couple of times he got taken off at half-time. So that can happen. But I just think, yeah, the opening fixtures are good enough um, to go for that, and it just in general, there's just a lot of value um, overall in the more expensive defenders. Yeah. Any concerns over obviously losing Rudiger? I think that's what the people were saying. You know, they've lost Rudiger. I know they've bought in um, Kulibali, and um, I think they're getting a lad from Seville as well. I don't know where it looks like they might be. Couldn't they? Um, so, do you think there's going to be any adjustment period there? Because uh, we have seen it in the past, haven't we? Where mm. um, you know, good defenders have come to this league and not necessarily just hit the ground running straight away, or just players in general, I think you can apply that to. Um, yeah. So do you have any concerns there at all? Like, that therefore, I mean, we, we even saw it with Rüdiger, to be fair, at the back end of the season for Chelsea. Some games, they were pretty horrific defensively. So do you have any concerns at all around that? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, definitely. But, um, yeah, they're replacing with a good defender. Uh, and, yeah, Rüdiger yeah, was exceptional. Um, also, but I still think overall they're, they're very likely to have one of the best defences in the league still. Um, and it's just, yeah, even if their defence is just okay, like it's that combination of those that attack and threat, I guess, that's the key thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, um, I'm not definitely set on those two, but I'm pretty sure they'll be at my team. It comes down to minutes and it comes down as well to Perisic. If I feel like Perisic is fit, and I can save 0.5 there by replacing one of them with him. Um, that's somewhere else I can upgrade um, also if I feel like that's worth it. So that's something it might come down to as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, fair enough. Gabriel, Gabriel is interesting to me. Um, <laughs> yeah, just because, well, he's one of the players that I didn't have in my team. Um, I like him in Sky quite a lot, but in FPL, I've never been, yeah, 100% sure. So talk me through that one. Yeah, it's definitely uh, <laughs> it's definitely the, more, the most rogue pick within the team. Um, so I've got five. I've got five to spend on that last defender spot. Honestly, I don't think I'll start the season with Gabriel, but I wanted to put him in for now. The reason I don't think I will is because Zinchenko, I think, is on the verge, if not announced yet, for Arsenal. And there's a chance that Cucurella could go to Man City. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll probably prefer both of those two, uh, particularly, um, uh, particularly Cucurella if he can play regularly because of mm-hmm. the quality of defence he's signing for. Um, but the reason I would go for Gabriel over, I think he's worth a 0.5 over Tommy Asu, for example, is um, additional goal threat. Mm-hmm. Tommy Asu is not really that attacking as a defender. I know a lot of people own him. Um, uh, and I much prefer him over White. White doesn't have any goal threat at all. Um, and so, yeah, last season, Gabriel scored uh, scored five goals from an XG of 2.7. So he overachieved on that bit. I think because the majority of goal, his goals are going to come from set pieces, that's quite hard to predict, isn't it, anyway? I think that probably with those yeah. types of goals, you see more of a discrepancy between XG and goals. 
And I definitely have a massive bias towards Gabriel <laughs> as well, just being totally honest. So I owned him from like game week 26 until the end. And mm-hmm. Arsenal, well, I owned him from my, from that wild card until the end. I had double Arsenal defence for ages and Arsenal's defence was so poor at the end of the season. Well, they kept conceding goals, but Gabriel scored like maybe three goals in the last six or seven game weeks. And every time he scored, like he was less than 1% owned at my rank. So... <laughs> I like him for that reason, but that's a, that's a, that's not a good reason to own him. <laughs> I was going to say he's charmed but you, hasn't he? He's definitely he's, yeah, he charmed me. Yeah, um, I do um, like that spot though at five million. I think um, mm. you just meant you touched on it there. Um, you know, Doherty or Doherty is another one where it looks like maybe Jed Spence is from Conte's comments isn't preferred choice to begin the season with. At least that's what I read between the lines. I think most people did. I think Doherty was when he was fit. He was playing, and I think he's probably an upgrade on Emerson in terms of the way that Conte wants to use the the wing backs. Mm. So he looks like a good option at five. You know, even if it doesn't last for for long or whatever, um, yeah, he looks good. And then you mentioned obviously Kukurella there, Zinchenko potentially as well. And then I think, well, if the Kukurella thing doesn't happen, then we've got Walker at five million. You know, mm. if if they've only got Cancelo and Walker really as first choice fullbacks, I think you will use Ake. At left back, as he has done in the past, versus some of the bruisers, which means that probably Walker might drop out for Cancelo right back. So you might not get every game out of Walker. He is getting on a bit. But to begin the season at five million, if Kukurel hasn't gone there, he looks like a reasonable option to me as well. So it's um, yeah, it's one of those ones where you design your team and then obviously we'll, we'll play around with it um, as the news comes in, I guess, won't we? And and how the um how the updates come from from minutes played and stuff. Because I think you said Tommy Asu there as well. The last I heard, he, he had a little bit of a knock. So um. Yeah, people have got them in a team, probably have to look at that. In general, he's just quite injury prone in general, isn't he, so far since he's joined the league, although played Seems really well played well when he has when he has played. Um the thing is interesting, I think, with Kukurella and Zinchenko, um, there's just an interesting study or thing to think about is Kukurella, if you just if you were to just look at like threat in terms of underlying data, so expected goal involvement. And let's say take expected assists, he'll look a lot worse than Zinchenko. So you've got to take but they're kind of both doing the reverse thing. So you've got Zinchenko, whose expected assists per 90 is something like, as close to 0.2, it's like 0.18 or 1.19, something like that. So really, pretty good. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's moving to a team where most likely, well, he'll have worse players around him, ultimately. So most likely he'll create less chances. Um, and then you've got Kukurello doing the opposite, where his expected assists are lower, but probably good for a team like Brighton. And he's suddenly moving to a team managed by Pep Guardiola, with incredible players around him. So you've got to try and work out yeah, yeah, how much do each of them increase and decrease in terms of their threats and then add on top of that uh, minutes, of course. And then the, obviously the fact that Kukurel is joining a far better defence. So I think that'll be, that's really interesting to see. If you were to look at their underlying data at the end of the season, if they do both make those moves, how much that's changed season yeah. to season. That's something I'm just really interested in general is how a player's you know, individual's underlying data translate when they move teams. Um, you know, can can you just instantly say they're going to be a better or worse option? You know, you got stuff like Jack Grealish last season. You know, I know that his expected data was still good, but he went through you know a, a very good player into a very good team, and a lot of people would start at the beginning of the season with him just thought he'd be fantastic, and I think he was good in a lot of ways, but in terms of actual FPL returns, it wasn't particularly good, was it? So. It's hard. It's hard to know on those accounts, and I don't know if there's any magic formula out there that can can judge that better than just gut feel. I'm I'm assuming there is, um, but it just seems a very hard thing to to pin down. My gut feel would be that Cucurella in a Man City team, if he was playing and nailed on, would would be an extremely good pick. 
Um, so, yeah, so, sorry, something that's interesting about Grealish. Sorry, I know we're going off the draft here, just to mention very briefly, because he actually spoke about this, and if you watch his post-match interview on the pitch after City won the title, mm. he's talk, talking about a season, he talks about the fact that he there's such a focus on Man, at Man City of just don't lose the ball, Yeah, that he would get the ball, and, he, and he's very... Uh, he's far more conservative, less likely to be creative and try and play players on mm-hmm. because he's told to keep the ball. Mm-hmm. So I think he's just restricted more at Man City. He's not suddenly got worse at dribbling. In fact, his dribbling stats are still really good. Mm. Um, but he just doesn't do it as much, I guess. And also there was a bit of bad luck, I think, in terms of if you look at his, like the big chances he created. Yeah, absolutely. I think he had a lot of bad luck if you're watching the game. Yeah. A lot of the time it was just off the line, just you know, all sorts of that stuff that just happened. He constantly had his hands in his head, not by any fault of his own quite often. Mm. Um yeah, no, I totally agree. And Pep even said in the media all season, you know, I use Grealish if I need to control the game a bit more. So that's basically telling you because I don't want him to lose the ball. Um, yeah. Yeah, and he wins fouls is another one, another good way of controlling a game. Is uh, get free kicks and slow it down. Definitely. Should we rock on to midfielders? Um, we've actually yeah. not we've actually not discussed Cancelo, I think, but I can do it very briefly, like I did with Trent. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Go on. I don't think this this definitely isn't as straightforward as Trent, but still, ultimately, last season he got over two hundred points. And he cost seven. Um, and if you looked at, so he was at his, again, we touched on it last week, but in general, his, if you look at his expected goals, there, uh, you would expect him to probably score four goals last season. It's about four expected goals for the season, but he didn't score, I don't think, last season in the, in the league. He scored one, I think. He yeah. scored one, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if you add on those three, well, six, twelve, eighteen points, he would have been the third highest scoring player in the game, um, last season ahead of Trent. Um, so that's interesting. Um, and I wonder, so if you look at um, FPL Review and the expected points, now their massive data model isn't out yet, so they've just got their free model out, I believe. Um, is that right, Luke, for now? Yeah, yeah, I think it's going yeah. to be and, and, about a week before the season starts. Their free model takes into account uh, more actual outputs, and their massive data model takes into account more underlying data. So I think he's also not as high on FPL Review at the moment, but I, I imagine we'll see that switch. Uh, when we get when more of the data is taken into account and we see his expected points, um, so I think that's interesting uh, as well. Um, and then something I was going to ask you about him actually, Luke, is I've heard people say that they think the reason he underscore underperformed his xG so much is because he shoots so much from distance. Mm. And so if you generate a really high xG, but so many of your shots from outside the box, and maybe you're not particularly good at scoring from outside the box, like is it inevitable that you'll um, uh, underperform it, do you think? Or uh, no, no. Or I mean, do you not buy into that at all? I mean, I'm, maths is not my best subject. From what I understand, one chance at one xG is the same as a hundred at um, 0.1. You know, it 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 is going to end up the same. It ends up to be the sure. same factor. It doesn't really matter how it happens. Um, I, the only thing I'll say on that is with Harland, um, presumably when he's starting and playing, and Pep's comments around we need to get the ball in the box for this guy. Um, that's where I think Cancelo is going to benefit because he is very, very good at finding those runs, being direct um, and potentially being the crosser. If he's at right back, for example, and he's on his right foot, will he be going outside because you've got Mares on the right with his left foot mm. um, or Foden potentially at the right side with his left foot? They don't have a right-sided right winger. I touched on this the other day. So presumably the right back, be that Walker or Cancelo, has to go on the outside. Now, how do you get crosses in for Cancelo or the ball in the box? It doesn't necessarily mean crosses, does it? But you would expect that's the kind of thing he's talking about. You're going to have the width from the fullbacks, I think, a lot more. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one way that could benefit Cancelo because he could be put through for the final cutback or pass to 
the likes of Haaland. Yeah. But also because he takes all those shots, you know, they have to occasionally hit the bar, ping off the keeper, do whatever. Um, and presumably Haaland is going to be in the box if they're trying to get the ball in the box for him, which is something they haven't always had. So is he suddenly going to start getting a lot of fantasy assists? You know, those knockbacks, those pingbacks, maybe. It's all, it's all conjecture at this point. We're still far too far off to, to see how it rolls. But all I know is I'm, I'm starting with Cancelo. I think especially when we touch on the fact that the centre-backs at the moment, like I mentioned last week, actually, their minutes are a little bit more in doubt at the moment, just around their injuries as well. Who's going to be first choice? Um, so I think you're actually getting a little bit more nailedness for your money as well, which previously wasn't the case. It was almost switched around the other way. So that's why I'm happy to pay the extra money. So I think you'll play all the games. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that makes sense. The only thing I said, that, that thing you initially said about 100 shots at 0.01 XG, etc. Um, well, I understand that completely, and I understand that XG takes into account thousands and thousands of matches in the in the past. But if you have a player who is has a bad skill set when it comes from shooting from distance, and they tend to shoot a lot from distance, you would expect them to underperform to XG. I guess. Yeah, but, yeah. But, but you're saying that's probably not the case with Cancelo. Well, we just will, don't know, really. It will be. Obviously, XG is just the average person that would do it from that position, isn't it? It's not based on who is actually taking that shot. So, yes, you could have people who will overperform and underperform. Presumably, there are people who are better than long shots than others. I mean, we, you almost instinctively can say that. But do I think Cancelo is a bad long shooter? No, I don't think he is at all. No. So I think person, yeah, yeah I, th- I think he's fine. I think he's absolutely fine. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have any concerns there. The season before last, he scored a couple of great goals from outside the box. I remember, I remember because I didn't own him. <laughs> yeah, for one, for one of his holes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's hard to score goals from outside the box. That's why they're so celebrated, right? They are extremely hard. And that's their low XG chances for a reason. It doesn't, you know, it does matter to a slight extent who it is. There's people who've made careers out of doing it, but all in all, you know, I don't think there's that much outside variance to be honest. Yeah, if you're, if you're a professional footballer. In an attacking position, and you can take long shots. Yes, like if you're Messi and other people, there are certain levels to it. But in general, there is a quite you know, average, isn't there, for your average player? I'd, I'd say doing it across the across the board. Yeah, and I will say is like the reason we're talking about outside the box is because that's what you hear a lot of people say in general. Like, it's really, I get really frustrated when people talk about how many shots players have had inside the box or outside the box. It's just a it's an arbitrary like square that's just designed. You know, it was invented for football over mm. 100 years ago. That certain area we've decided that if you're fouled there, you win a penalty. And then people are taking account shots inside the box, and you could have one from a really tight angle, and a better chance would be just outside the box. But centrally, mm. then I just sorry that just it, randomly it, came to mind. I'm sure no, we discussed that in depth at one point. It's similar to playing number nine, being up front, but then really being the person who creates the space and runs wide for the inside forwards to score. You know, it's that whole antiquated feeling there. I think that we we're all guilty of at times. You see that player standing right up top, and you think, "Oh yeah, he looks like he's the one to score goals." But the system might not be designed that way. Yeah, and, oh, yeah. The yeah. worst is when the worst is when you hear a, a commentator describe a player as a false nine when they're just a <laughs> just a nine, just a playing a nine, but they don't normally play as a nine. You hear yeah. it all the time with like Sterling yeah. was a nice player for Man City, and sometimes he'll just be playing as a nine, but because he doesn't normally play there, he gets described as a false nine or Havertz as well. But anyway, mm-hmm. r- two random pet peeves. There. Um, should, we, should we move on to midfield, Luke? Yeah, yeah, we are 37 minutes in, but I think some of that was taken up by the audio. So yeah, we'll have to we'll have to try and crack on with the midfield. It's so hard to keep this succinct. Yeah, really we're, we're we're 30 minutes in. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so uh, Martinelli um, first. Um, it's just to be honest, based on his underlying data being really good, and you know, it's even better than Saka's. Um, 
if you look at expected goal involvement, excluding penalties. Um, and so it just comes down to minutes. And I just think it was really clear last year that um, Martinelli was his first choice. So even even when Smithrow went on that run where he kept scoring when he was coming off the bench, um, he always started the next game with Martinelli. Um, so I, I think that he's first choice within that team. Um, and I think he could be on penalties, but I don't I don't know for sure. But I think there's a good chance he will be because when he's on the pitch, he tends to take them. And then there was one time when uh, Saka scored a penalty and Martinelli was on the pitch, but he'd only come on in stoppage time, which we discussed already. Um, so I, I think, I'm, and I also feel quite bullish, like I feel confident in his minutes as well, probably compared to most people. So I think I'd probably increase those compared to what they currently are on FBL review, which is important. Uh, absolutely. I think with Martinelli, it is it literally comes down to expected minutes. And I think, um, you know, our judgment on that is key and it's key for, for so many players. But I think if you were to say to virtually anyone that Martinelli's you know, going to play the majority of them um, and I think he will get sub quite often. But let's say he plays 70, 80 minutes, you know, um, they'd have him in the team. I think they would because the price is too good. I think for for what he potentially offers, I, I'm personally happy to take the chance more so because Smith Rowe appears to have a bit of an injury knock and stuff at the moment. I'm not as convinced as you that he is just like first choice. I'd really like him to be, and he's in my team on that sure. wish. But um, yeah, I'm not like for me, it's a risk to own him, but it's also a risk not to own him. Like that's the way I, I, like, I like to look at it. Everyone saying, oh, I'm not having Martinelli because he's too risky on minutes. Well, I want to throw that back at them and say, well, you know, if he is getting the minutes, then you're in trouble, mate. So yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, that's the way I'm, I'm choosing to look at it. And I could quite easily get that wrong. But I think there are other players potentially below that that will emerge or are already um, quite well known that you could yeah. move to um, if required. So I'm happy to take that pump because I feel similar to you that like the rest of my team is reasonably solid. So it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take it somewhere. I think when you've got Pereira as well, it looks like he's just going to be playing number 10 for Fulham. It's like, yeah, it's not the greatest thing ever, but he's on set pieces and he's there and then maybe he's going to chip in. He comes on for two points. I mean, quite often, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to score two points occasionally unless your name's Reese James. So, um, yeah, it's, yeah, take it on the chin sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't think there's anything else I need to add on, on, on Martinelli. Just the alternatives. I just, I think Neto's also a good alternative in terms of value as well. So I wouldn't put you off getting Neto instead. Um, but at the moment, I'm on Martinelli. Cool. Because they're a similar price. And I know Neto's popular. Um, uh, Mohamed Salah. Uh, he'll be my captain in the first week. I still think at 13, he's really good value. So there's no chance I'm going to go without him. Uh, unless he gets injured, um, and he's he's done it for like years now, constantly been top scorer in the game. Even last season, like when he dropped off in like form, so to speak, and it, when he when we when he wasn't scoring as many points, his underlying data was still really good. And if you're of the mindset that or Diaz is, you know, there to cover him, like that's even that's just not the case. And even if you again, even if you look at the data since Diaz joined Liverpool. Um, Salah's outscored him, so Salah has 7.8 uh, points per start, and Diaz has 5.4 points per start, and that's probably in a period where you'd perceive Mo Salah to be playing poorly post Afghan, or a lot of people would say that. So even despite that, he still outscored him quite significantly. So I just say don't see Diaz as an alternative to Salah. See it as Salah versus other expensive players. In which case, in my opinion, because he's you only have to pay one more to get Salah over De Bruyne or Son. He's just a no-brainer um, for me. 
yeah, I'm just not even open to the discussion of not having him. I have gone without him in the past to be different for the sake of it. Um, but as long as his underlying data is as good as it's been previously, then he stays in. Um, and if he's six weeks in and he's not scored a goal, but his underlying data is ridiculous, then he'll still be in my team, I'm happy to say. Um, yeah. I'm going to stick to my guns on it. And I don't think that's stubbornness because at the end of the day, I trust in the underlying data and, and the numbers. So um, that's, what I'll, that's what I'll do. Um, I don't envisage that will be the case. I think he scored today again in a friendly. Not that it, I say again, I think it's for the first time. Um, not that that matters, but... It might be a reminder for some of the people out there. Um, yeah, I, we've, we've done it to death. He's he's not going anywhere from my team, at least yet. And um, at least the signs tell me any different. Yeah, that's it. Um, and that's, yeah. I mean, I, I have nothing else to say <laughs> on that, Luke, for me. It's uh, uh, pretty no, pretty much a no-brainer. But Diaz is interesting um, because there are, it's a price point a lot of people have been talking about in terms of um, that 8.0 uh, price points. Because you've also got Saka at that price, you've got Mount at that price. I believe Foden is eight as well, mm-hmm. uh, and then Bowen is eight point five. So I think there's loads of there's loads Madison of good options as well. Yeah, yeah, there's loads of good options at that price. Um, one of the things I did consider was actually going for two uh, number eights. Um, <laughs> two number eights sounds like I'm talking. <laughs> talking you're not setting up a yeah, you're not you're not a football coach, <laughs> bud. Calm down. Two eight point oh players. Um, and then downgrading uh, Jesus to a 4.5, but I don't like that because um, of the structure of only having one striker. Because if Haaland suddenly doesn't play a game, um, you've literally got not, not got a sub to come on. So I don't like that. Um, and the reason I'm going for Diaz is again, Liverpool's fixtures are so good, like so good. And the fact that Jot is out um, as well, and Diaz, since he's joined, has done really well. His underlying data is similar to players like Mount. Um, even though it's expected minutes or less, it's the fixtures for me for Liverpool um, that really kind of swing that. Um, but I think it's close. I think there are lots of good players at that price, and you know, maybe that will change. I wouldn't be surprised if it does. Yeah, I mentioned it last week. I think with Diaz and Foden, I'd feel slightly more comfortable personally of bumping their X minutes up a little bit, which then jumps them right to the top of the lists. Um, and yeah, the, the rationale is essentially that Diaz played near most of the games when he came in straight away. Mane's now been sold. I don't really see who will play on the left. I know Firmino has done that in the past, but it's been a while since he's been utilised in that way. Um, so for me, Diaz has pretty much got a lockdown on the left-hand side. I'm not I'm not naive to the fact that you know if he's playing poorly or, or Klopp wants to change it up or make subs and, and integrate, you know maybe he wants to integrate Nunes and he drifts Firmino over there or whatever. You know it could happen, but I just think for now I don't really see a good reason not to have Diaz to be honest. And if Jota was fit. I think you could still possibly make a case that way, but it's just that added sort of cherry on top where you think, well, if anyone else is going to play left, it's going to be him. Now, Jossa could get fit two weeks in, and you could say, well, then that's a problem and you've got a problem in your team, and I understand that. But I think if Diaz is starting the season and playing well, I don't see any reason why he'd start using him. We also have to bear in mind that Jossa was primarily used as a forward in his recent time. Um, That might not be the case anymore because of the Nunes Firmino situation, but there's nothing to say that you won't just use him as a forward anymore. I mean, we just kind of we try to make these patterns, don't we, in a team that it makes sense to have Jota and Diaz as the left, and Nunes and Firmino as the as the nine. And then you've obviously got Salah pretty much on his own on his right, but they have got I think Curtis can play out there and stuff. So yeah, it's like if you were playing champ manager yourself at home, that's probably how you'd set up your squad. But it's not necessarily what Klopp will do. He might use Jota as a centre forward. yeah. I, played, I played two number eights, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Okay, well, let me know um, how you get on with that. <laughs> um, another thing that just came to mind there, based on you saying that, is I don't I don't think we saw it last season, but we've seen Liverpool play four two three one before, and when they have played that, um, Firmino has played as that number ten. Um, so maybe they'll do that more. Who knows? Maybe that's the yeah. reason they've kind of got players, three players that we think are prim- primarily central players. Um, but yeah, time will tell on that one, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so centre forwards it is. Yeah, uh, I've gone for Jesus and Haaland, which I guess are the two like what you call template picks. But I think they're template picks at the moment for a good reason, um, because they're good picks, in my opinion. I just love Arsenal's fixtures, and I think Jesus is a really good signing. His underlying data was always really good at Man City, and his goal scoring was always really good when he did play. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting one because he's going from a team where, uh, again, you'd expect his, you'd expect him to get more chances because he's playing in a better team, um, but he's moving to a team where he's going to play more but get less chances. So his points per minute will uh, go down, but his minutes will go up. And I think I, I expect him to play regular. I think that's the reason he's gone there is he wants to play regular football. Mm. Um, like I don't, I don't think he'll play 38 games, start 38 games. I think he's certainly first a first choice player within that team. Um, so I, I like his previous underlying data. I like Arsenal's fixtures. So it's fairly simple from that point of view. But I would have really liked it if the kind of fixtures had thrown it up and if like Mitrovic happens to have really good opening fixtures or mm. Solanke maybe, that would make me really tempted to go with one of them um, as another option because I probably prefer them to any of the like six million midfielders. Uh, to be honest, uh, apart from Martinelli, um, if they had good fixtures, I think that would be really interesting, and that would might maybe make me more likely to go for like a four-three-three or a five, even like a five-two-three, I guess, or just play him instead of Jesus. But yeah, I think he's a really good option and template for a, for a good reason. Yeah, I don't have anything really to add to that. It's just the only thing is it remains to be seen really how he's going to work for Arsenal in obviously the competitive matches that we see in the Premier League you know is he going to be, end up being the foil for some of the other guys like I've talked about in a, in a certain system who's playing as a nine didn't really work that well for Man City as a nine they ended up putting him on the right wing I can't really see that happening but you never know do you Enketi is a very useful striker as well I think Arteta has talked about using both of them up front in certain games he's obviously mm. come from that pep mindset as well of of um, trying to work out attacking patterns that are going to benefit the team depending on the opponent. So we could see some versatility from Jesus. Um, but mm. but that's really my only thing that I could say, well, therefore it could it could affect him negatively. But at the end of the day, if the data's good on him, then I'll, I'm still happy to, to trust it. Um, and quite similar to the Martinelli one, it's like I'd rather just be, I'd rather be on it and see what happens in the new team than, than the other way around and watch from afar. Um, yeah. It's more, more money than I wanted to spend on that forward slot but I don't see a good reason to go for any of the other ones like you've mentioned, mainly based off of fixtures at this point. But yeah. I'm, happy, I'm happy to move that on at uh, a later point. And Yeah, and if suddenly, like, say we get six games in and Nketiah has started three of them and Jesus has started three, that's why like, the, that early wild card could be really helpful. Or you can just make the switch then. And I like to think even with the fixtures, we probably still see returns from Jesus in that time anyway. Yeah, I think someone said in the chat there, um, prior just said what happens to Nketiah now. Um well, first of all, he is still quite young and I don't think he ever fully established himself. He just played towards the back end when Lacazette was clearly leaving. But he, he was good. He was very good. His numbers were very good. Mm. What happens? I think, um, like I said, it's going to be horses for courses. Sometimes Nketiah and Jesus will play. But I th- also think if you look at the subs for Arsenal, I think Saka was one of the most subbed players in the league last season. So if Saka gets subbed off 
he could bring Enketia on and switch Jesus to the right wing, where he's also extremely comfortable. I can see that happening a few times as well. Um, I do think Enketia will get minutes, but will it impact Jesus' minutes? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I don't think it necessarily will. Yeah. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Um, should we move on to Haaland, just to finish? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's been talked to death. Obviously, he's the brand-new shiny toy. Um, but there's been a little bit of doubt around him today, just simply because Pep's mentioned... Um, that he's not quite up to it. He didn't start the friendly. Uh, had a few niggles, I think was the comment. Um, and then I've had seen something else that he's on an individual training package and all this stuff. I think they also said he's due to play Bayern. But he's newly signed to the league, um, um, newly signed to the team, I should say, relatively recently. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how much to read into that. There's obviously the concerns, the fact that he's already had these injury problems in his career. And I think part of the reason, as if you saw, there's an article from Sam Lee um, who's obviously a Man City correspondent hmm. that says, I don't know how they know these things, but basically says that um, part of the reason why he's come here is he's been promised he won't get pushed if he needs to be, um, yeah. you know, if he needs a rest, etc. But I don't know. I think if he's fit, he plays. So yeah, yeah, how, we, we, how do you know whether he's fit or not? Well, you have to wait until they tell us, basically. And we knew that when he signed. Like, So that I think that quote from Sam Lee is actually from the article when they signed him. Like right, one, okay. one of the main things that initially drew him to City was the fact that he would um, be rotated more essentially and they would manage his minutes more. So he considered one of the things that was less appealing about Real Madrid is that the fact that he'd be more likely to play, be played in big games even if he wasn't fully ready. Mm. Um, but I just think if he if he's fit, um, and particularly at the end of the season, he's going to play. And I think we can just make that call after the Community Shields. Like if he starts in that game... Mm. And comes off after 60 minutes, and he doesn't come off with an injury. Like I think we can expect him to start that first game. In which case, I think you want to go with him if you expect him to start the first few games of the season because he's, yeah, he's just an unbelievable finisher, and he's joining the most creative team in world football, yeah. the best manager in the world probably. So I think he's, yeah, I'm not, I completely understand why people might end up going for Kane, but I think the reason for going for Kane should be if. There's uncertainty around Haaland's minutes. I don't think we have that yet, even though we know he's had a niggle. Um, if he plays the next game, like I think we can be fairly confident that he's going to be ready in time for the first game of the season. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just going to bring up this slide that I've got here from again from um, actually it's from Sir Telap. I need to get this name right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> terrible at it. Sir El Telp is his name, as you can see in the bottom right corner here on the screen. Um, Oh, no, it's StatsBomb that I've got in the corner there. It's so small. Uh, him and Chase combined, anyway, are great guys for data. It's actually Chase who provided this one for me, and he's taking the data from FBRIC. Um Let me explain it for the pod. It's quite hard to explain just looking at it in general because um, it's a it's a shiny graph, and they scare me. And I know they scare people on Twitter, but um, it's an over-under goals to non-penalty XG uh, in the EPL and Bundesliga since 2017-2018. We've got the X and Y axis there. So on the X axis, you've got the... I can't say that word, non-penalty XG. Um, thank you, cumulative. Um, which is basically the amount of XG over that entire period that he has generated. So as you can see, Lewandowski's line is longer across the X-axis because he's generated more XG over that period, played more games, etc. Um, zero is almost the baseline. Um, and we've got Kane and Haaland here. So on the Y-axis, we've got uh, the non-penalty XG um, fluctuations essentially throughout that time period. So as we can see, Haaland is just consistently very, very good and overperforming, high levels of finishing. 
Um, you know, 11.8 more goals than expected uh, from him. 28% overperformance, that is. I think this is why people are willing to chance him. You know, that those are just ridiculous numbers. You can see Kane also very, very good. Um, but even in the periods where he has obviously gone slightly better than Haaland, he's now dipped back down again. And it's Haaland's just been consistently extremely good and obviously plays in a, in a, in a better team. So he's only at 12.8% overperformance. So it's almost like, the reason people are willing to risk those minutes and the injury levels is because of that, basically, his, his sheer potential. And then people point the finger and say, oh, it's because he's in Germany or whatever. And that's why he's not managed to. I mean, that's why it's easier for him and all this business. That's why Lewandowski is included here to show you that obviously he's a top level striker, top level finisher. And he's in Germany. As you can see, compared to the baseline, it's only until um, towards the back end of it, you know, that he's um, he started to regularly overperform. So it's it's not something like German keepers are worse or defence. It's nothing like that. It's just showing you that he also, um, you know, is a human essentially. And Haaland appears not to be from the data we've got. Can that change? And that's just because it's a shorter period of time and Haaland can come down a bit and stuff. Absolutely, he can do. Like it doesn't say it won't. But everything we can see at the moment suggests that Haaland will continue to perform at least above the average that you'd expect. And he has done ever since. He's never dropped below. Um, so it's a scary thought to me to not have him in that Man City team. Like, do I think that there will be, you know, it's never works exactly like this. Like you said, the most creative team, the best finish, you put them in, Bob's your uncle, it's easy as pie. It could be. Um, there might be some teething problems, but it's more the fear of uh, if it does work. And even if there's a slight dip, we shouldn't be worried. That's that's the kind of message I'm getting across. It is very much, again, on the expected minutes with him, I think, is the only issue. Yeah. Is that what you draw from that as well? Uh, yeah, I agree with that. So the, the kind of key questions are, well, in terms of him overperforming his XG, the, the main difference there is the goalkeeper, isn't it? So the, the, the question you'd be asking is, is there a big difference between the shot stoppers in the... Oh, and, and how good of a finisher he is, yeah. And how good of a finisher is, but that's not going to change. That's the, the one thing that could change between the Premier League is the goalkeepers. Um, I mean, Allison's exceptional, but outside of him, um, from what I've read in, in the replies to this on Twitter, there doesn't seem to be... Haaland's still ridiculous, even if you think there are slightly better shot stoppers in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, the main thing when it comes to goal scoring, he's actually accumulating that XG. And I'm so confident he'll do that at Man City. So that's something I wouldn't be worried about. Like why you said, the main thing for me is minutes. Um, but if you think Kane's a better option, buy Kane. Honestly, you should not be... Don't buy players because you're worried about the ownership, because Haaland's ownership is ridiculous. If you think Kane is better and a better option, you should own him over Haaland. Uh, don't let ownership be the reason for, for owning a player. No. And I think I think there might be a sway in the community to start with Kane and then maybe move to Haaland when you're more confident on his minutes. I mm. can understand that. Or just go with one premium option or another one, you know, just sell her and spread the money. But then, you know, it becomes a little bit of a concern if you want to try and get him in. And obviously it's you know, it's just niggles and stuff. And game week two, he's got an excellent fixture straight away where I really want him if he's starting. So for me, at the moment, yeah. he's still in my team and he, he'll, he'll remain there unless, like you say, Community Shield and, and further information tells me that he's not gonna he's not going to play. Um, yeah. enough minutes for, to warrant me picking him but yeah for, for, it's just that overperformance 28% can it consistently happen we know that there are players out there that have managed to do it Son is obviously one of them that we know of there's other players like Messi it's not like it's an impossible phenomenon that, that just won't happen um, you know and then you look at Lewandowski only 5% overperformance in the, in the same league and still churning out those numbers it, I don't think it's a, a thing about the league personally here um, yeah, I can't, yeah I can't wait to own him I think it's going to be great Um that's the team done pretty much, isn't it? Just the bench, which is kind of boring. But you've got Archer, which I've got in. I saw you talking about. I think he's going to get some minutes this this season because he does look a really handy player. 
He's an amazing player. So for a bit of context, for anyone listening, I support uh, Preston in the Championship and we had him on loan for the second half of last season. So again, bear in mind there's probably a little bit of bias. Um, but he did extremely well. During that spell, he was one of the best strikers uh, in the Championship. Um, and since he's gone back to Villa, the consensus among Villa fans seems to be that they're going to keep him rather than send him back on loan again. And he definitely wouldn't go back on loan to Preston. If he was to go on loan, he'd probably go to a smaller Premier League team or like, I don't know, maybe like Rangers, Celtic, that kind of team. Like he's a very, he's Premier League ready, in my opinion. Um, and yeah, I, I know Villa fans are very excited about him. So he's not going to suddenly be starting. Um, but I think he's one that if he, if there's a period where Ings is injured, for example, or Watkins, mm, I, wouldn't, what I be su- wouldn't be surprised if we start to see regular minutes from him. Yeah. Or I wouldn't be surprised to see him. I think he'll regularly come off the bench and I wouldn't be surprised to see him like score and suddenly get a start. Like he's, yeah. a, he's a huge talent and he's done it for, for England as well this summer. Um, for the, um, uh, I think he must be in the under 21s with England. I think that's his age group. Um, okay. yeah, he's, he's done it, um, as well and scored for them a few times recently. Um, so just very talented player, basically. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, the 4.5 million forwards are, are pretty much dreadful this year, I think, in terms of it doesn't look like you've got a starter amongst them, so you have to bear in mind the context. But I'm with you, I think if anyone, Gerard seems to want to give youth a go. They've got very, lots of good young players at Villa. I think it makes sense to try and integrate them. And you're talking about a team that currently, as far as I know, have only got Ings and Watkins really plays up front. Ings has obviously got his injury record. Doesn't always work them two together necessarily. They've had struggles. And then Watkins can play left. So I can envisage a world where Archer gets a chance and maybe keeps it at some point down the line. But ultimately, he's just there because you have to pick a 4.5 striker in this setup, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, the, uh, and you scored the winner in the derby in Sparkles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I promise there are, there are other good reasons to turn him as well, I promise. <laughs> well, we had Harry Kane come. Was he 4.5? I think he was 5, actually. I think he might have been 5, but he, he came uh, one season through and, and absolutely smashed it. So you never know. Maybe it could be Archer's season. Um, the Silva and Pereira, I think Pereira's, there's not much to say there is. I think he's just easily the standout 4.5 mid to pick at the moment. Looks like he's going to play, um, that, that role for Fulham. Who did they lose? Was it Carvalho? They lost. I think he's going to play that role. Seems to be taking some set pieces. Seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Um, I think he'll be in nearly everyone's team. De Silva's an interesting one. I've got him as well at the moment, but to be honest, I've just gone on what people are telling me. I don't really know too much about him. Do you, is it the same for you or do you have a, a feeling that he will get more minutes and stuff? Um, I've, I've not, can't say I've watched him play regularly or anything like that. Um, it's just that he's, um, was just very, I just know he's very, very highly rated by Brentford fans as, and has performed really well when he has played. Mm. I believe he was in the team, uh, was he even in the team the first, right, the last, first few games of last season? I can't remember. Maybe he was even injured that whole period, but out for months and then eventually came back and played a couple of times towards the end of the season. Um, but it's, it's more just like you want to play that's going to get minutes, and there aren't many. We know that Pereira will get minutes. There aren't many at 4.5. We know will. But mm. from chatting to people who support Brentford, so Tom from the FPL Dummies podcast, who, who's, who I've chatted to, he thinks that he'll get minutes regularly, not necessarily from the first game, but things will probably like become a semi-regular starter. Okay. How concerned are you about your bench then? Because really you've only got Pereira as the, as the one that's probably going to play every game, and we don't know that, do we? It, it might not be the case, but we... It's a fairer assumption, I think, that he's probably going to play most of the games for Fulham. But outside that, the other two could just not feature, couldn't they? So is that a concern? Uh, yeah, there it is. It is a concern. So with that 0.5, I've used to go from a 4.5 up to Gabriel. But I could just go for Dunk in that position mm-hmm. and then go for... Um, and in fact, even then, there's not a lot you can do with that money, is there? Because even if, there's not even a 5.0 midfielder or forward that plays 
how I think about it. Um, I mean, yeah, people I have got a Bailey little... at five million. Okay, talks yeah. about that, but I'm not sure he actually plays either, to be honest. But yeah, maybe I'll consider that. But I just, I just think that in, in general, I think the bench is like I'm not that bothered about bench depth, to be honest. That you rarely use your first sub in a normal season, to be honest. We just used them quite a lot last season because of COVID. Um, so in general, I tend to play the game with a very, very <laughs> ropey bench. Um, okay. Um, and but yeah, I can see why people would want to have. Um, your boy uh, Williams as well for 4.0 you can see that as a reason why you might go for 5 at the back or 4 at the back sorry with him on the bench because yeah. you know he's going to play regularly so I guess it's a concern but I would be more concerned with having a weaker starting 11 well that's where I've landed for now anyway yeah well that's a nice segue because um, we're going to very briefly touch on my team which I'm going to bring up here which you'll see is almost identical to Sam's Um for the purpose of the pod, it's got Mendy in goal instead of Sanchez like him. I've got Cancelo, uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Rhys James, uh, Doherty, Luis, uh, Diaz, Salah, Martinelli in midfield. And I've got Solanke, Jesus and Haaland up top. My bench is pretty much exactly the same. I've got Pereira and De Silva, but I've got Nico Williams, like we were talking about, um, as my bench option. So really what I've done here is I've gone Doherty over Gabriel compared to yours. I personally prefer that at the moment. And then... I really want Chilwell as well, but I think just because my bench was a little bit less strong, a little bit of concern around Chilwell and maybe his minutes with Alonso's there to begin with at least, mm-hmm. I thought maybe I'll go for a nailed option in Solanke, which Review really likes. I mean, I, I'll be, I'll hold my hands up. I didn't think that he would be an obvious pick, but he has. A, I think he's accumulated something like fifty percent or something around there of Bournemouth's um, XG in the Championship. So I can see why the models might like him for that reason. Um, and therefore I've got him in sort of instead of Chilwell and that gives me the slightly better bench option I guess in a formal in Nico Williams and at least he will play I don't know whether we'll get any points is another matter but that's it it's allowed me to change my keeper so I that's the setup I'm on currently I think I could do more in terms of moving Mendy to a 4.5 keeper and then if I was actually to change Nico Williams to either Johnny or Dunk the benefit there is obviously I've got a, a better defence cover and also, he actually covers Solanke really well in the games that you'd want to bench him. So I think in his first few fixtures, Solanke's home fixtures are pretty good. But he's obviously got some pretty bad ones. I can't remember mm-hmm. the other. I think it's a way to Liverpool and a way to City or something ridiculous in the first few. But if you look at those fixtures, um, Brighton have got and Wolves have both got relatively good games at home. So I think that's why the model's got quite strong on Solanke and then combining that with, with Johnny Otto from Wolves because you can sort of work those two together. Um, yeah. So that's something I could do to to adapt it as well. Um, but that's where I am for the moment until the FPL page review model comes out. I don't see me changing that very often unless we get any news you know, outside Haaland just being completely broken down in training. I'm going to wait for the paid model and see how it changes. But overall, I'm fairly happy. Well, one question would be like for you, Luke, is that you tend to love having Man City players and you've only got two. Is there any mm. temptation to go for a Man City midfielder? There is, yeah. So Foden over Diaz is something I could quite easily do. Um Again, the only concern there is just that Foden hasn't been with the main group at the moment, um, which could mean absolutely nothing. Um, he could be fully fit, and I expect him to get a high number of minutes. I think the benefit of Foden in that Man City team is the fact that if we think Haaland's not going to play, it doesn't mean Alvarez is just going to play up front. He's also brand new to the league. Of anyone, I'd say Foden's more likely to play a little bit there, and he obviously plays all three of the positions. So I think he's he's relatively fine. Um, so, yeah, he could come in. Also, there's the Cucurella thing. Like I said, I'm quite big on that. So if that happens oh, yeah. and we get the indication that he is going to start, 
then um, I could actually have him in over Doherty instead, maybe. Um, so that's another consideration for me. So, yeah, I, I'm not. I, I tr- I've had three City nearly all of last season, um, and I am inclined to try and do it again, given how good they are and how good the fixtures are. But we know the problem with them; it's the expected minutes, right? And that's where you can lose that. You can lose that battle on <laughs> or win it, depending on how good you are at judging it. It's yeah. extremely hard. I would, yeah, I'm the same as you. Like, if I went for midfield, it would be Foden. Like maybe, like maybe Grealish, but definitely not from game week one, and definitely not Mares. I just think Mares so frustrating. <laughs> like he yeah. can. It's just the minutes, the minutes thing. Like he can haul and then suddenly be doing, be doing nothing. And he seems like a really attractive player to own because he's, uh, like so talented and incredible to watch, and he's, he's a brilliant footballer. It's just, it's so much of it comes down to minutes. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a good take. He's like a kebab, Mares. Well, the idea of him is brilliant, <laughs> and then you maybe maybe it's incredible, like the odds time. But then the next few days, like you feel awful afterwards when he's <laughs> random, randomly benched for three games. Yeah, um, like that's, you... a, that's a good analogy. To be fair, I, I I do like Jack Grealish a lot. I think I'd be more. I think Foden's my number one pick at the moment. I think Grealish would be the next one, rather before I get to Mares. I just think when you add in the fact that penalties will probably be removed from him and go to Haaland, presumably when he's on the pitch, anyway. Um, it then just takes a little bit away from him. And we've just seen that there's been many times where Haaland's been set up to play every game or minutes or whatever it looks like it's set up for him, but Pep just doesn't particularly like using him in the league. Like, it's just a thing where he often starts off slow and uses him more in the Champions League and stuff in the big games. He's mentioned many times he likes Mares in the big games and the big games he likes to have him yeah. for his moments. And um, until I see any evidence that's changing, um, then I won't be having him. Um, but... There is definitely more chance for Mahrez now, given that he is the right side specialist and they've sold Jesus and Sterling. I get that, but I think we just have to wait and see it. I don't think you can make the assumption that therefore Mahrez just gets more minutes, <laughs> unfortunately. Hmm. Um, yeah, should we move on to some questions then? I think we've, how long have we doing for time? We're probably already over 45, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, we're just over an hour. Oh, Christ, every time. <laughs> well, every time, the two times we've done it so far. Um, <laughs> Let's move on to questions, try and answer them quickly. Um, I apologise because they're on some sort of slideshow for me here and I could not work out for the life of me how to change it. So all of you guys are just getting some airtime and it's filtering through. So um, I'm just going to pick one at random and then we can talk about it. So let's go with uh, FPL Naboo. So he says, how annoyed do you get when people equate going against EO to high-risk behaviour even when said person has explicitly stated they think a lower-owned player will score more. So how annoyed do you get, Sam? Uh, it's all relative, isn't it? <laughs> I don't get annoyed as I do for uh, other big things in life. Um, <laughs> but relative to FPL, oh, I get very annoyed. When you stub yeah. your toe, is that worse, for example? Yeah, that's definitely worse, yeah. Right. Okay. For sure, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, how do I not? In the context of FPL, yeah, that does annoy. He's probably asked that because you know, I rant about it on Twitter all the time. Mm. And I mentioned it before, like, you shouldn't, own a player because uh, because of their EO. If you think they're going to score less points, don't own them. Um, I think that's the way the game should be played, optimally, in my opinion. I think people get worried, like, oh, my season could be over if I don't own this player who's got a high um, effective ownership. Yeah. But, yeah, if they've got a high EO, like, maybe that's maybe there's a reason for that, and maybe there's, you should take more time to consider why that's the case. Mm. And maybe that makes you more likely to, own, to, to look into it, but then you should still if you still come to the conclusion that another player is better for your team or a different combination of players that they're not within, you should, yeah, you, you should um, go against them. So, also, yeah, it, it annoys me, but, yeah, 
it's relative. It annoys me, but it's I, I'm fine for people to, to to pay attention to it if they want to. That's the thing. Like, as in, it, I can't understand it, but if they want to follow it and do it, then I think it's making. The, I think it's making them worse. I think it's making them make worse decisions. Personally, I want to almost throw it back to them and go, okay, how many of the 10 million players that play FPL do you think are any good at this game for a start? You know, and then I want to throw it back to them and go, okay, I can already see it now by game week two, game week three. Um, this percent of the top 10k own this player. Well, how mm-hmm. many how many players in the top 10k have ever been there before in their life? Are any good at the game? Have not just survived on luck? They own the player who's probably presumably done well to get them in the top 10k. When does it even become a factor where it matters? You know, you'd have to argue quite a long way into the season, and even then, you, every season on season, you don't know that the top 10k are actually particularly good at the game. They might have just been extremely luck- lucky. We're playing a game of extremely high variance. Um, so I, I don't really like that. I think following the reviews elite sample of the 1K managers that we know are extremely good and basing decisions, almost effective ownership against them would be a good idea. Um, I don't think it would be a good idea in, in terms of sacrificing the expected value in terms of picking the best player, but I think mm. it's good to fact check against it. You know, am I basically doing something that a lot of good managers think is, is not a good idea? But yeah. I don't think the general EO population, the general EO of top 10K is anything to worry about. Yeah, so literally just worry about it in the last game week or two. And if you're in, so if you're trying to hold a position and you're like, say like 50 points inside the top 10k, and that's all you care about is being top 10k, mm-hmm. then just own a player that's really highly owned that everyone's going to captain. Just make sure you own them just in case. Yeah. Um, and if you're chasing a 40 point lead in a mini league with two game weeks to go, like captain someone that's low EO that even if you prefer someone else, just for the chance you might get lucky. But I think that's the only context. Yeah. Um, I'd also add that we only actually truly know the EO once the once the deadline's gone, don't we? I know we can have an idea, but from from my limited knowledge of it, because I don't, I purposely stay away from it, is that um, it actually gives you the exact figures after the deadline's gone of what someone's EO is. So you can have a general feel of it, but you'll never know for sure until it's happened anyway. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think like many managers said before, if you've got a decision where you've got two players and the expected points between them is extremely close, maybe it's like 0.1 in favour of someone else, then there's no reason to go for the person with extremely low EO because you're, you're adding a bit of rank protection in there. I think that's yeah. absolutely fine. But the moment you start sacrificing a lot of expected value or um, just just because of EO, I totally don't agree with it. Yeah, if it literally feels, if it literally does feel 50-50, like, yeah, I can understand that, but just try and find that 0.1% to push you over to one time. Yeah. Yeah, in terms of how much it annoys me, I'll be honest, it makes me want to scream. <laughs> anyway, right, let's go for another one. Um, who am I going to pick out? Because they're all flying past me. Let's go for FPL uh, Ron Manager. He says, do you guys think that because the timing of the first wild card seeming to be fairly optimal, that for most informed managers, there will be a fairly set template for game week one and post first wild card? How can people develop an edge within that time period to beat the template if possible? Hmm. Want me to go on that? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I don't think he needs to worry, first of all, about template having an edge necessarily. I think it's always good to remind ourselves that the people who are heavily involved in Twitter and heavily involved in using analytics and FPL review and stuff are a very, very small minority of people. And you've already got an edge if you're doing that, I would say. I think this game doesn't always correlate with how much hard work you're putting in because it's a very high variance game, but there's there's a level, right? If you're putting literally none and you don't know anything and you're doing it compared to someone who's vaguely informed, then there's quite a big difference at that lower bracket. And um, 
so yeah, that's what I think. I think he needs to worry about that. I think he just needs to pick the best players and see what happens. But second of all, I will add that if there is an edge, it, and I've said it many, many times, it's expected minutes. I think if you can use the tools that are now at our disposal, such as FPL Review and, and various others, then your judgment of expected minutes is going to stand you in good stead. I showed you the good team. We, we looked at the good teams, how good they can be if those players are in. If Grealish is nailed on at 7 million in Man City's front three, like I don't, how is that not a good pick? I mean, you don't need to be a genius, right? But you need to nail those expected minutes. So it's stuff like that, I think that will set you apart. Um, and that's incredibly hard to judge. You know, that comes from, for me, it's an understanding of, like, in your field around injuries, it comes more about understanding coaches, I think, as we develop. I think nowadays it's not, he played this week, therefore he's going to play next week, all that stuff. It comes more from, can you get in the mind of this coach who wants to set up for this particular opponent? I think that is a factor. There's loads of stuff we're never going to know. We're not going to know about their um, their quirks, you know, whether they're upset that day. Whether, whether the manager doesn't want to play him because he promised him some minutes for X, Y, Z. We're not going to ever get that information. So what we can really go on is, well, is this the tactical reason for him to play him and is he fit and available? I think they're the two things we can look at and we can try to make a judgment off of that. And you know, that's, that's all I try to do with Man City. And I think there's loads of other people that pick him for loads of other teams. So that's my answer. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't need to add anything. I agree. I think it's similar answer to the last one for me. Uh, do what you think will get you the most points, not what you think will give you an edge. Because there'll be a way, there'll be plenty of times that you differentiate from everyone else across the whole season. Absolutely. Here's one for you. So um, this is, comes from BMBRRRR. <laughs> that reminds me of that Bart Simpson episode. Was it on the um, on the chalkboard? We got the teacher RDR. Is that just me? <laughs> I have no recollection of that. Probably <laughs> <laughs> made a film. Laugh Look it up on YouTube. Bart Simpson RDR. It's a maths <laughs> equation. All right. Um, where are we? People are just assuming that five subs equal less injuries, but would this not make the pace of the game much quicker, thus increasing the likelihood of injuries for those who play 90, as seen in rugby, with more injuries since rolling subs was a thing? So I, I don't watch rugby at all. I didn't know that was a thing, but yeah. What do you want yeah. to say about that? Uh, I don't know anything about rugby. Well, I, I like rugby, but don't know a lot about it at all. Um, I say I like it, and I watch the Six Nations. That's about it. So I had to look up. Um, look this up and it seems that it increases impact injuries uh, which are obviously way more common in rugby because of the speed that you're running at each other and the high impact of tackles and so I guess that happens because you've got a more of a mixture of fresh players and players who are more fatigued uh, so you've got more speed running at the player um, in terms of football that's not really an issue I guess another theory that, that for why it might happen in rugby is because they can roll on and roll off more now players are more prepared for 60 minutes so beyond 60 minutes you also get more injuries with them not playing 80 minutes as frequently um again i don't think that's really going to be the case within football because teams are constantly they're training to try and increase every player's extensive load to the amount of the distance they can run an intensive load the amount of sprints they can do and repeat Mm -hmm. um constantly over 90 minutes and up to 120 minutes in extra time so your players always need to be ready for that um and then another thing i would say is um, even if that was the case, I don't know how much of a difference it would make for FBL, to be honest. And in general, I think the whole thing with rolling, with having the five subs now is probably a bit, I don't think it makes a huge difference. It just makes your bench slightly less important, basically, because all your players are more, like to, more likely to appear. And you might see more patterns in players consistently coming off the bench who are annoying to own. Um, but from my memory of when it happened in 2020 after the, uh, the break because of COVID, it didn't make a huge difference, and often some managers didn't even didn't even use them. Still used one, two, or three subs. Um, 
so yeah, that seems to be quite rugby specific because of high impact, um, yeah, collisions, um, which does don't tend, which don't happen in football. You know, it's not going to make you more likely to pull a hamstring, for example. Um, and yeah, players always need to be prepared to play 90 or up to 120 minutes. So um, I don't think it will make a, a difference. But we'll see. We'll see. Should we'll see? Only time will tell. Yeah, I don't think people should panic either in the first few weeks because I think just generally the fitness levels of teams will be a lot less than where they want and they're trying to build people up. So I think in the first few weeks you might see subs utilised more because they want to, obviously, they've been advised um, you know, by their physio, this player should only be playing 60 minutes this week, etc. And now they're more able to make those decisions because they're not in fear of running out of subs throughout the game yeah. as often. So I think that will happen and you'll probably see people saying, oh my God, it's massively affecting. And I think come game week four or five, when everyone's fit and available, the players are only going to come off essentially if they're injured or there's a tactical reason to do so. I don't think you just make five subs for the hell of it. You know, I think you do it if you genuinely think a player's not, a position's not working or for whatever reason, outside of injury, of course. So, yeah, that's just my little take on it as well. Yeah, another thing, just another random point in that people might find interesting. When you hear coaches now talk about subs to their players, this happens throughout youth levels. They don't, ref- they don't say subs, they say finishers. They'll say starters and finishers. And right. the idea is that you're, pre- you're prepared to finish the game and you need to be prepared to come on for 20 minutes to make an impact. So right. it's, the wording makes it more seen. As if you're not a someone who just comes on as a replacement, but you've got a very, spe- very specific role to come on. I think that's used a lot in youth football because it's very positive language, but is used at the first team level um, as well. Interesting. Just yeah. inter- interesting fact. <laughs> yeah, no, nice. Love that. Um, where are we? What question am I going to pick now? I've got one from Praz underscore FPL. He says Havertz as a genuine alternative to Jesus. Uh, uh, yeah, not not for me, just because... I think they're both um, slight to minutes risks, and particularly with Sterling signing, you've got Sterling, Mount, Havertz, and still Werner. So one of those players is going to miss out. You've got Nisa uh, Perisic and Pulisic as well. We can play in a front three. Um, so I would, uh, for that reason, and I don't like his fixtures particularly, I would avoid him. But yeah, but it's not it's not a ridiculous shout by any means. No, it's the alternative to Jesus. I don't think he's. I mean, variance again, he, he could be fine. He could do brilliantly. Um, I think Jesus is a better pick. Um, Havertz data has been very good at times throughout his, um, you know, his short stay really in the Premier League. There has been times when it's been, it's been good when he's played that false nine. Um, I think particularly in his first season towards the back end, it was very, very high. Um, so I don't doubt there's a, there's a very good player in there and, and he's got good data. So yeah, it could work, but. It's um it's the whole thing over Jesus. I just don't see him as a good option, so therefore I can't pick him. Um, later on, I'm open to picking him. You know, I think he's fine if you if you've got him playing the nine. Um, and the system is more is designed better, I would say, around the number nine because Chelsea have a lot of difficulties seemingly to get that player functional in their team. Um, then yeah, I'm happy to I'm happy to take the punt at a later point, but not from the off, not from me. Um, let's move on. So I've got FPL uh, throwaway. He says. How to maximise the use of models such as FPL Review? What are their flaws that we should keep in mind? How to make best decisions based on the model's suggestions, recommendations? Practical examples would be great to hear. Um, yeah, what's your thoughts there? Uh, I wrote down three main things, really. One one practical example is would be to edit the minutes yourself. I think a lot of people would use FPL Review and they would go on and just look at the numbers. In fact, I don't know that, but I'm guessing. Like I've definitely done that in the past. Um, but I think editing the minutes yourself is a really key thing because you might really disagree um, with the minutes on the website already there. 
and adjust the numbers will adjust to that and will adjust a lot to that. So that's one thing you can do that's practical, that's really helpful. And um, bear in mind that um, like a really recent tactical change might not be picked up in data, in data for a while as well. So say a new manager comes in and they instantly make a change in formation. And for example, you've got a player suddenly playing out of position as a number nine who previously was uh, playing in midfield, something radical like that. And um, that probably won't be picked up in the data like immediately straight away. So that's something you might notice that uh, somewhere like um, an algorithm wouldn't notice or wouldn't be picked up in long term stats for a while. And then the third thing would be that it still has the same limitations as XG does in terms of just contact on the ball. So you might have watched a game where a player, um, there's a ball across the 60 yard box, a player slides in, but they miss the, just miss the ball. And they're ultimately a millisecond away from a tap in. Um, but because they, they don't make contact with the ball, that doesn't come under XG. And I assume that that doesn't get picked up as well by models who are taking into account a lot of that data. So that's just another thing to, to bear in mind. Um, as well, and just just to be aware of. I absolutely love that. I think I'm still, in terms of me answering this question, I'm still learning. Like I found out about FPL reviews last season. I kind of used it a little bit to sort of fact check bits and pieces, but this season I plan to use it a lot, lot more. And I think there's other things like the decay level. We haven't even discussed this for people who won't know what review is or how to to apply it. Um, you know, there's stuff like decay in there, which I think we can discuss on another podcast. I think if you can utilize that well, then that could, that can help you. Fixture strength. Obviously, how long is your horizon? How many weeks are you looking at? You know, are you looking to save transfers for the two free transfers, which I think is quite a powerful tool? There's a lot, there's lots of things that, um, you can use to, to, to make you better, I think. And I plan to, to do that as we go along and learn how to do that. Um, I would just say as well that in terms of the flaws, like you've said, First of all, any of that stuff could be built into a model. Like it depends. It obviously gives human input. If you wanted a model to be more reactive to the most recent week that has happened, for example, you could do that. You can use solvers and stuff to do that as well. Hmm. I think it's a good thing they don't react to net last week's points very, very quickly in general, because otherwise you're going to go down far too many um, wrong paths. And yeah, that's where the judgment, I suppose, can come in. Like you say, I think Gundogan was a good example a couple of seasons back for Man City. He never had it historically. Suddenly, Kevin De Bruyne was out, I believe, and he was playing like almost in a false nine position. That's your favourite term again there, Sam. Or at least running into the box, being the last man on the end of it. His data started going up very quickly. He started performing, getting points. Ultimately, people brought him in because he was getting points. But his data took a while to creep up, and then it was very, very good, and then the models will recommend it. So sometimes there might be a little bit of a delay there. But like I say, you could build that into the model if you really wanted to. It's just it would probably have some knock-on effects. So there is there is always going to be some benefits, I think, outside of, of the models at this point, because they still are very much in their infancy. Like They are fantastic, but they're only going to get better with time, I think. And right now, tactical movements and shifts of a player obviously can can be something that you could pick up on quite early. You just have to be wary that, you know, you might be seeing something that you're not, you know, isn't translating in the data, and it's actually only a one- or two-week thing before it switches back, so... It's a, it's a tricky balance. Yep. Let's move on. I think we've got one more tweet, and then we can Last one. call it. Yeah, let me just check if I've got that right. It's I the think. one about Man City, I believe, Luke. Oh, is it? Okay. Oh, yeah. In my opinion, who will be the Man City beneficiaries of the five subs rule, and who will suffer? Um, it's so hard to answer that right now, um, but I don't think there'll be that much of a change in terms of the to the who will suffer, because... Pep often won't make subs if he's happy with what he's seeing on the pitch. I don't see that changing, like I mentioned, because there's suddenly five subs, maybe very early on for the fitness. So I don't think there's necessarily going to be people to suffer. I think Kevin De Bruyne could be one because he's very important to them and 
if they're winning a game four or five nil and you've got the option to take him off, then why not? Pep has mentioned that in the past. You know, I, if we needed to win, I think he said then Pep would be staying on when he took him off one time. Um, so maybe he's one that could slightly suffer. Obviously, Haaland being managed, we've already talked about. Will he come off early? I think he's another one, maybe. But it's speculation. In terms of beneficiaries, the only thing I can say is if Pep does decide to use subs, then I think a lot of the younger kids will get more of a run out, which they don't really get. So the likes of Alvarez, Palmer, you know, I think that's still probably going to come in games where they're four or five nil up to begin with. Um, but yeah, I just think if, if anything, it's the beneficiaries will be the, the, the peripheral players. Palmer at 4.5 million. I've seen a few people mention maybe they might have him in a team. I mean, for me, that's a no because it takes a Man City spot. Um, but he's certainly a very good price if he if he was to we know about Mares and I think um, Pep has mentioned that he, he was he was open to using Palmer there. Is it out of the out of this world that Palmer could could nail down a bit of a, a role on the right wing? He is a very good player, uh, maybe, but you know, certainly not right from the beginning anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great. I, I think that's it. I think we've gone well over our target again, but I think we've covered everything we wanted to cover. Sorry if we didn't get to your questions in the chat, guys, but. Um, we tried to pick up what we could as we went along. Um, yeah, do you want to do the outro for us, Sam? Well, we've done, we aim for 45 minutes and we've done an hour and 20, so oh, 35 minutes added on for injuries and stoppages. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you listen to it on two times on the podcast, it'll be about 45 minutes. Everyone does that, right? Um, God, if they so, listen to me at two times, they'll never hear what I'm saying. I talk way too fast. <laughs> um yeah, well, hopefully um, you guys enjoyed it. Um, we're looking forward to the next one and seeing how our drafts change up until the season starts. Thanks for listening as ever. And, um, yeah, please head over to our Twitter. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe on YouTube as well. We'd appreciate that. And give us a rating uh, or like the video on YouTube. And thanks very much for listening. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, everyone. Catch you on the next one. <laughs>